Hello, Sarah. Hello, Kim. Happy Friday. It is happy Friday. Oh, and it's like a special Friday because it's a Friday before Thanksgiving. But I want to talk less about that and more about our special guest today. Yay! Who is Karen Richardson, the Executive Director of the Virginia Society of Technology Educators. Welcome, Karen. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I am just going to say up front, man, I did arrange dog child care for today that evidently has fallen through. They have been provided with lots of doggy biscuits, so I'm trusting they'll all go lay down and we'll only hear snoring. But anyway, I am so excited to be here today and participate with you in this great conversation. I love chewing the fat of all sorts of things about ed tech, and you guys are awesome people to do that with. We are a pet friendly podcast. So if, if good, your dogs good. want to participate and feel like they really want to answer the question, we support, support that. Their, their main strong opinion is that I spend way too much staring at time, staring at a screen and not enough time, like, you know, enter, entertaining them. So there you go. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I, I have known you now for a while um, through Visti, and I know that we have a lot of the same passions, especially around technology, and we're a little bit older than maybe some of the younger folks out there. So I'm just curious about what was your pathway toward working with and being passionate about technology? Huh. So yeah, so I was born, and no, I won't go that <laughs> back that far. But honestly, you know, I have to say, I, I really have lived the computer, whatever revolution that you want to call it, hit at just about the time that I was ready to take advantage of it. Um, and in very limited ways to start with. So for instance, you know, I was at William and Mary in the early 80s when the first mainframe computers went in and they set up dummy terminals around campus. I was a junior senior, but I was an English major. But a friend of mine who's boyfriend was a computer science major said, why are you still using that typewriter? You, as part of your tuition, you get access to the mainframe for a certain number of hours. Oh. Um, and yeah. And so I started typing papers on it that, you know, I mean, it was a really basic level, but that taught me a lesson. I think that I have kept with me forever. If her boyfriend had come to me and said, hey, you know, you get time on the mainframe, you should learn to program, I would have said no. But oh. he said, you get time on the mainframe, here's how it solves a problem for you. And I think that's a really, as we work with teachers and particularly teachers who maybe aren't quite out as front of the curve as I think the three of us are, and that's an important lesson. Technology is ultimately at its base, a problem solving tool, yeah. and he solved a problem for me. And it was fascinating at that time because, you know, the, the printers were also, we're actually, we're kind of back to where we were then. What was that? 84. Oh my Lord. I hate to even think, is that 40 years? Now everything's back in the cloud again, right? It was mm. the cloud-based system. The printers sat in campus one place, you sat into a dummy terminal, you sent your stuff around, everything became personal. Then it went back again. Anyway, that was my first introduction. I happened to end up marrying a guy who was a computer person, but he'll tell you I went past him. But I think <laughs> I just, yeah, he, he's a farmer now. You know, I think at some point I realized that, yeah, there was potential and I can date it to 1996. That's when I was teaching middle school in Middlesex County. We were approached by WHRO, the 
a public broadcasting channel down on the peninsula to write a grant to get access to this new thing called the internet. And because my husband worked at William & Mary, I had seen the internet. I would go in with him at 2 a.m. when he did the backup, the tape backup, and it was all text-based then. (laughs) Last night when I was doing a a chat with some people, I mentioned that, you know, it was all text-based. There wasn't going to be any advertising. I don't know if you guys are young and old enough to remember that. Like, this was going to be this pure communications. Mm -hmm. And if you went into a discussion forum and, like, even mentioned that you had a book, People just shut you down. And then one night you had the news on and there was a Toyota commercial. And at the bottom, it said Toyota.com. And, you know, you knew it was over. And it was all over. (laughs) It was all over. So anyway, but that, I think, was the moment when I realized there was application here. And I taught in a rural school division, so field trips. And I remember we had a pretty curmudgeonly science teacher, but he latched right onto it because there was a rain, an early rainforest website that oh. kids could explore. And they were just opportunities to provide at that point, really just resources. You know, if a museum put up a website or, or there were those kinds of things, all the stuff we've got now, the collaboration, all of that, that was, you know, figments of imagination. But at that moment, those kids to be able to go online and, and kind of interact and, and, you know, kind of be part of that world. And we put up an early website for the county and the school division. And yeah, never looked back. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> I like that story. All sorts of twists and turns. My husband is also a William & Mary grad who started as an English major oh, okay. and ended up kind of yeah. <laughs> turning left and ending up somewhere else. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, the story sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody early on told, I always wanted to be an English major. I had no idea what I wanted to do when I absolutely grew up. And I think ultimately that was kind of a good thing. Um, And my parents hadn't really said, you know, you will be a doctor or you will. Mm -hmm. They kind of let me be a free spirit. So I just knew if somebody is going to give me four years to be at college, I'm going to be an English major. That's what I want to do. But they said, you know, as an English major, you learn to read, you learn to write. I listen to your Mm -hmm. FTP podcast. You learn to critique. And so it's these sort of fundamental skills that go beyond just being able to like quote Shakespeare or, you know, pick apart literature or that sort of thing. It's, It's more about the language. And, and once you've got those skills, you can kind of do anything you want. So yeah, I learned the program knows? a little bit. Yeah. Go ahead. Who knows Sorry. what they want to be when they grow up? I mean, really, I have no idea. I still That's, don't know. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, you know, and then you get, well, because you do, you get to my point in life and you think, okay, I've done this for so long. I haven't been long-term. I've, you know, I sort of have putzed around. This has been a, the longest actually that I've, that I focused on any one project. I like the freedom of the internet that it offers you in terms of being able to move around from space to space. If you like that kind of of work, it's a little nerve wracking sometimes because nobody's writing a paycheck to you necessarily, but it offers those opportunities too. And I think that's the place where in terms of the next generation, we got to get away from the 40 hour work week. We got to get into more of this flow of working towards a project and and really taking advantage of what these technologies offer us. And that's the thing I hope that at least the last eight months might help us start thinking about. Speaking of VISTA. Yes. Let's yeah. let's hear about it. Yeah. What is, what it? is it? Who should be involved? <laughs> so the Virginia Society for Technology and Education has been around for 36, 37 years. It was, you know, in the very, again, if you, you know, you start doing the the math of how long we have had technology in the schools, 
even if it was what I had, which was, you know, one Mac desktop sitting in the back of my classroom. But, you know, that was all the way back to the late 1990s, early 2000s. So technology and education organizations started popping up. Um, and VISTI is part of ISTE, the International Society for Technology and Education. And we're, you know, we're kind of at one point, I think our tagline was, you know, we're for anybody who is passionate about using education, technology and education, and sort of the long laundry list of who that might be. That's really our focus. And we've tried over the years, we, we are an ISTE affiliate. We're also affiliated with the Consortium of School Networking, POSIN, which is more of a leadership organization. So for chief technology officers and, and folks at that division level decision-making, we can reach out to them we have a really great partnership with the Virginia Department of Education as well, and they obviously have a very strong instructional technology focus, and they always have. So we're really kind of for everyone or anyone who you know wants to engage every, and we do have an annual conference that's coming up in December, and I can talk a little bit about you know how we've switched up the format for virtual, but I'll sometimes get an email from just a member of the public who, for whatever reason, you know, stumbled upon our conference and they email me. So is this only for educators? And I'll email them back and say, I would have no idea how to filter for that. If you want to come to my conference, come on, you know, I mean, <laughs> if this is what you're interested and, and some, it'll, sometimes it's a parent, you know, I'm, my kid's doing all this technology and I'd love to learn more. And sometimes it's just, you know, kind of general interest sort of thing. And so, you know, ultimately that's the widest. Our stakeholders, we see our stakeholders as primary K-12, primarily K-12. There's there's other higher ed organizations that are ed tech focused. So we're primarily K-12. We're primarily the span. The conference, the annual conference tends to be more classroom instructional focused, an opportunity for the technology resource teachers, coaches in the state to share, but also a chance for teachers to dig in and and connect with folks from all over the state. And then we also hold a leadership event, usually in October, for more of the CTO types. You know, we have 132 school divisions in the state, and each of them has somebody who sort of oversees technology. So so that's what we do. We're, we're excited about what we do. I think we're passionate about what we do. We're, you know, we're, and we're having a little fun with this, as it were, too. So but come on board. Membership is free. Basically, you're signing up to get a copy of our newsletter and keep up with what we're doing. We've got partnerships with Common Sense Education, so we were able to share their resources out. Gene Weller from the Department of Education has been very active with Go Open VA, and I know, Kim, you've done a lot of publishing at the Go mm -hmm. Open VA and Open Education Resource Portal. Yeah, we, we had her on the podcast as well. Ah, yay. Well, and you, I think you were featured. So here, I'll announce this on your podcast. So every week, Jean sends me three featured items out of the database. We thought that'd be a great way to get word out to people to just go and start browsing. And I think you were one of the teachers she featured. And so we've created a little badge. And when I get a minute here, I, I'm going to go in and grab everybody's name and email address. And you're going to get a little badge that says, I contributed to the 
Go Open VA database because we really are trying to. Yeah, yeah. So that I mean, it's a fun way to reward people for doing it, and we thought it would help you guys get some recognition for the stuff you're doing as well. So the thing I like about Visti is we're we're still a small organization. I you know I'm the executive director. We have some folks who manage projects for us. I have a board of directors, all who are intimately connected with K-12 in a variety of different ways. They're wonderful sort of advisors. And I've got folks like you, Kim, who, you know, we are, we're going to talk about maker stuff, but like that's a passion for ours. So we're able to bring in folks who are actively out there doing things, get advice from them. and, And I think we continue to be the grassroots organization we always have. And even more now, we're just trying to figure out the best way to meet people's needs. And the maker thing is really one of them. How do do you do that kind of stuff online? Right. Well, I just want to say that Visti has been so welcoming. I think I started going before I was officially, well, I had been teaching, but, you know, I didn't feel real because I wasn't certified and whatever. And that was never an issue (laughs) with Visti. (laughs) And also, I just feel like, you know, I've been to ISTE and I've been to some other ed tech related conferences and I've gotten the most out of Visti, frankly. Mm. Um, The the people there are awesome. They share great stuff and it just, you know, it's more, feels more like a community. Well, and, and to just follow up on that too, so we have about 22 people, I think, who are our conference committee. They're led by Craig Spragans. I'm oversight and they get together every year and figure out, you know, what, what didn't happen last year? What would we like to do better? You know, what interesting things? Craig's great idea one year was the CHOP technology thing where we had groups in different rooms at the Hotel Roanoke and they were all beamed into a viewing room. And they got like, I think they got like a lesson idea or maybe like curriculum and then a technology and they had to work together to come up with a lesson plan. And But it's fun, again, to have all these people that are willing to give us their time and energy to keep things going. Well, let's just talk a little bit about maker education, because that is something that both Sarah and I are passionate about. Oh, and yeah. it feels like a great way to bring computer science to um, people who don't have as much experience because you're bringing that physical aspect to it, but that's challenging right now. Mm-hmm. So challenging, and especially I, for kids that love the hands-on and they need lots of instructions. That's very hard to do remotely. So have you guys, before I start chatting, so what have you all been doing? I, you know, I know Kim and I, we tried something over the summer and I never really, I, and that's my, I didn't really follow up with it, but what have you guys seen or done that, that seems to have worked? I try to incorporate projects that are very low floor, high ceiling. And you've heard, if you listen to the podcast regularly, you've heard me use that phrase before. And low floor means anyone can do it. The guidelines and the expectations are so basic, but you can take it as high as you want. So Kim, I'm thinking of the remote learning project that we did in the spring where we had um, young students design their own robots and the guidelines were basic and they could draw it on a piece of paper. They could build it out of paper towel tubes and tissue boxes, or if they were really feeling it, a lot of these students had materials at home. They could create something that they could animate with a Makey Makey or an Arduino. And so to participate, you needed to do very little. And to feel successful, all you had to do is put effort into it, but you could make it as complicated or as involved as you wanted. 
and we had it set up so that they could approach an older student virtually to get feedback or to get help. And so maker projects that have very loose requirements and that allow students mm -hmm. to use what they have on hand and that anyone can see success, high-tech, low-tech, no-tech are kind of the three columns that I try to check with distance learning or a hybrid model. That Those are the projects that I've seen success with and that students seem to be enjoying right now. We also did a virtual Girls Geek Day where yeah. we had volunteers create their activities. So, you know, Girls Geek Day, normally you're in person and the girls get right. to be together and do a project. So we tried this virtually and we had a lot of people create video tutorials of what the project was and then a materials list. And we tried to make it so, again, it was stuff that they would most likely have at home. And we also offered like nine different projects. So, you know, if one didn't work out for you, you could try another. And that was where the project Sarah was talking about was sort of embedded into the curriculum. Oh, okay. And there were some touch points. This was like, it was set up so you could just do it. You didn't need to have that interaction. I've been experimenting. The most successful workshop I've done so far, MakerWise, has been in a partnership with TTAC at Old Dominion University. So TTAC are the training and technical assistance centers in the state. They're funded out of the DOE and they're primarily focused on special education. So I was approached by a woman there who was interested in showing people how to use the Makey Makey to make switches, quick and easy switches for students who had challenge using a keyboard. So we put together an agenda with kind of what, you know, the three kinds of switches we were going to make. She packaged everything up and mailed the boxes out. And we had folks, so I think we had about 36 people. It was free for them. So your box included a makey makey and an aluminum foil and you know all the stuff you could possibly need for what we were going to do. And I really did set up the, you know, my studio so I had my overhead. I have a I used a document camera, but you could use your phone. Actually, and in that workshop, one of the ladies I told him the name of my document camera. And of course, as people do, she went out and Googled it. She was like, that's way too expensive for us. And I was like, okay, I didn't buy the, I think it came from Overstock or whatever it is, Woot. But anyway, but they were putting an iPad on a locker shelf that they bought at Dollar General. And that's what they were using for their, for their presentation. But that was great. We worked together. They, everybody had a chance to try stuff out and, and there was a little bit of scratch involved, but it was mostly them making, making the switches and things. And then I did a similar thing with my grad students at UR and we did scrappy circuits. So I mailed them a box of all the of all the pieces. And then I also included kind of a little it was we just did it last week and had a couple folks come in. And the woman, Inez Peterson from Old Dominion University, came in and played with us. And she talked a little bit about what she had been doing. And I had a couple folks from Goochland, Matt Karakatachi. I think I got his name right. And Crystal Demas came in to talk about maker culture in the schools for my grad students. And then, yeah, we played with Scrappy Circuits. It's frustrating because, you know, it just doesn't always work. And if you're in the room together, it's so much easier for you as the facilitator to kind of go over and say, oh, I can, you know, make sure everything's tight or it's easier for them to kind of troubleshoot and problem solve together because they're all at a table together. So I think that's the individuals doing it themselves I've got. I need to figure out the way of connecting them to each other. Does that make sense? For sure. Yeah. So I don't know, is that a breakout room or whatever it might be? But yeah, I think, you know, I think we're getting there. 
and I just don't want to lose it. The, the, I was always a kid who made stuff. Like I had a basement, my family and they, I was, my family's happy that I was down there doing stuff. But, you know, I always got kids. I made Christmas ornaments and painted stuff and I had a rock tumbler and I was very much a physical, you know, kind of person, despite being an English major who also loved to read and stuff. And, and I think it's, it is important for students and it helps round out programming. I'm so worried that kids are just spending days like, co- you know, coding at sites and not seeing how that code can make stuff happen maybe. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that every kid has, begins as well-rounded. Every kid begins learning, loving to draw and perform and sing and create and research and get dirty. And, and so I think that nature, we come as a very well-rounded kind of little creature and then nurture can chip parts away or round parts out. So while students may be drawn to one subject or one expression more than the other, I think that nurture can have a big impact on that. And so being an English major who also loves a rock tumbler and loves to get messy and build things makes sense. I think most of us do start out that way and we maybe just need some help to nurture the different sides of ourselves and to connect them. You know, reading and creating are not different. You just need someone in your life who helps to create a bridge and see how they're connected. Yeah, right. Bingo. There you are. And, and yeah, and, and just giving kids that space to explore those and figure out what they like to do and what they don't like to do. I was presentation at a conference earlier this week with someone from Microsoft and they, and they were talking about, you know, the typical, what does Microsoft look for? And there, there was sort of this broad category of technology knowledge but it went so far beyond just programming or coding and, and how technology impacts things and how does that go into making something that, that can be useful for people and those kinds of things. And so that wider vision, but I, it, you know what you made me think about? So if you want, I just watched it, re, rewatched it recently, Joy, that the movie's called Joy and it's a sort of weird fictionalized version of the woman that made the mop and kind of got famous on QVC, I think. Have you ever seen that movie? No, no. Oh, you need to go. So the beginning, go look for it. The beginning of it is her as a young girl who likes building things out of paper and she builds houses out of paper and she builds all these 3D things out of paper and that's what she likes to do. And so she starts turning that into these problem solving features. And she's a, you know, kind of lower middle class, divorced woman with a couple of kids, but she comes up with this mop idea that she fabricates herself for the the original kind of mop that the thing pushes down and pushes the water out of it or whatever. But the beginning of the movie is really the powerful piece. There she is with these little figures that she makes out of paper and creates things. And, and you, then that turns into this. She has no engineering degree. She doesn't go to college. But she's got that mentality that leads to bigger things. Inventiveness. Maybe that's it. Cool. Well, yeah. we are getting Put close to the end of time, but I wanted to ask one more yeah. question. Of course, it's not a little question, mm-hmm. so <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens with it. Just, I'll just start. How about this? I'll start talking, and when you're done, just cut me off. Okay. That's sort of how my life goes anyway, right? So uh, wondering what progress you've seen on the equity front relative to tech, and then where do we still need to focus? So obviously, yeah, not an easy question. About two years ago, Visti saw a need because we noticed that 
one of our regional partners, the group that had gotten together, they were all wonderful human beings, but there was there was no diversity at all. And it became a conversation for us, our board of directors, actually, and, and I can't take credit for this, but we do have a nice level of diversity there. But this group in particular, it needed some work. And we thought, well, first of all, you know, we live in a state in which only 17% of all educators are not white. So then you filter that down, at least in my world, to like ed tech folks, to coaches and things, and it's even smaller. So one of the things we've done, and we've had very minor success, we've had a couple people, but we've set up a mentoring program between practicing ed tech coaches and practicing young teachers who might be interested in taking educational technology as a pathway. So the mentors work with them. They talk to them about particularly what a tech coach job might look like. And we have actually had someone come out of the program and and take an ITRT position, but then see it as moving further along to you're an ITRT, maybe you become an instructional leader. And I'm happy to say that I had this conversation with someone in the Department of Education. We have more and more women technology directors, division level chief technology officers. I don't have the number at my fingertips. But it's an increasing number. And I think what's happened is, you know, women traditionally are teachers in the classroom. Technology offered this opportunity. Lots of the early ITRTs were women. I, I, that's my sense. And they're now, 20 years later, moving into these leadership positions. So I, I'm positive about it. But, you know, obviously, ed tech's a reflection in terms of at least teaching of just our larger issue in general in the state in terms of lack of diversity. So it's something we're always working on. You know, I heard this really interesting metaphor that I'm not interested in inviting more people to my table. I really want to figure out how I can make remake the table. How, mm-hmm. how can I push back a little bit and, and make sure that VISTI is being responsive to the needs, VISTI is bringing those needs to the forefront and being advocates, but also making sure that we're empowering the people to be active and leaders as well. Well, that's awesome. And thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to connect with you. And I hope that people will check out VISTI and the conference and some maker education. This was a lot of fun. I've done a couple of these now, I told you, and I love it that people just let me come and like, talk about stuff, but there's so much going on. And I think it is sometimes easy to get embroiled in what's not, doesn't seem to be working all that well. I guess I've been doing this long enough that I'm always pleasantly surprised to see the things that are working well. And let's highlight those and build on them. And, you know, as I said earlier this week, we're all going to be better educators when we come out of this in a variety of different ways. And this is our chance to dig in and talk about it and really explore and make change. So I'm psyched. I'm so glad there are people out there there like you two, too. So thank you very much. What a perfect message to end it on. We're all going to be better teachers when we come out the other side. I like that. Awesome. Well, until next time. Tech, love, and happiness.